0: As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the window. So look at your own thoughts as just noises.
1: This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well generally. This episode is going to be with Ashley Graham. Ashley was a basketball star at Redmond High School in Washington, leading them to their three best seasons in school history. As a senior in high school, she was named conference MVP and to the All-State Team and was named Female Student Athlete of the Year by the Seattle Times. She went on to play for Santa Clara University, where she scored over 1,000 points, made a school record nine threes, nine three-pointers in a single game, and helped knock off undefeated Gonzaga in the conference championship on her way to the NCAA tournament, where she played against Stanford on the big stage. After college, she played professional basketball in Turkey, Belgium, Slovenia, the Ukraine, and Romania. And since then, she's been a coach for the Seattle Storm, a WNBA team, and she's now the head coach of her former high school team in Redmond, Washington. She's also the founder of Pinnacle Hoops, a basketball training organization providing individual basketball skills training, team workouts, as well as clinics and camps in the greater Seattle area. So if you're a young athlete or if you know a young athlete in the Seattle area and you'd like to, train with someone who's really been through it and knows what it's like to train and compete at a high level, you should check out her website and you can find the link in the show notes. It was really a pleasure and an honor to talk to Ashley. We talk about her journey as an athlete from high school through the recruiting process to college and professional basketball, how difficult it was for her to give up on her playing career and to transition out of being a professional player. We talk about finding sustainable confidence and some of the downsides of quote unquote positive thinking. We talk about how she's trying to instill values that are greater than basketball into the player she works with now, and some of her favorite books and some other topics. So without further delay, here is Ashley Graham. right. Ashley Graham, welcome to Sauce Talk.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So in the introduction to this podcast, I'm going to have introduced you and talked about some of your accolades as a player and as a coach. So the listeners will already, will already have some idea of your success in the basketball world. So I want to start with a question about your youth sports experience. So now that you've gone through the basketball ranks as a player and played in college and played professionally and then worked as a coach, both at the high school and the professional level. I'm just wondering how you reflect on your youth athletic experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I loved basketball from the first time I played. I started playing uh, in fourth grade, rec basketball, and then um, kind of jumped right into select. I just, I just really liked it and, uh, you know, I don't think, back then i think there's like 25 years ago now that there was as many playing opportunities as there are now just in our area in seattle there's probably like 20 aau programs for girls to play for boys to play hmm. um, when i played there was like two um so i think more kids are starting to play now than they used to but i absolutely loved it i played on as many teams as possible uh, when middle school season was going on at school i was playing on like three to four teams during that time, just cause I was playing AAU. I was playing for my feeder high school team. I was playing for my middle school team and then like subbing on other teams. Um, so I just, I really played like as much as I possibly could. Um, I didn't really train like kids do now. I mean, I'm a trainer for kids and it's my job, but that didn't really, I feel like it, when I was growing up, it didn't really exist or I didn't really know about it. So I was just, playing a lot of, um, games and then a lot of pickup with like local neighborhood kids and stuff.
1: Okay. And did you play any other sports growing up?
0: I tried, I tried some other sports, but I was not good and I didn't really enjoy them. So, um, by like seventh or eighth grade, I was like 100% basketball.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. And you had tremendous success in your high school career. And again, I will have mentioned some of the amazing things that you accomplished as a high school player. When did you really get serious about playing at the next level? Do you remember what age you were when you had dreams of playing in college or playing professionally? How did your expectations take shape as a high school player?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I fell in love with it. It's kind of weird to like reflect back on it. Um, I just found like this old um, thing I had written in sixth grade, like it was for like the sixth grade yearbook. And it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had put you know, at 12 years old, like professional basketball player. So <laughs> I knew great. early, like, it seems, we, you know, I don't know. That seems weird to know that early, but I just really loved it. So I don't think the WNBA was even around then. So it just kind of like, I maybe was thinking I was going to play in the NBA or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I knew I wanted to play college basketball and, you know, make a living out of it. Cause I just loved it so much, like early.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. And this is a question that I've been interested in because of my own experience as a player. So I was a talented young athlete and I got really into sports sort of like you did. and I, was, I had very high aspirations for myself. And I, part of my you know a lot of my identity as a young boy and as an adolescent boy was through sports and through being a successful athlete. And it became a, actually something of a stress in high school, just being so fixated on um, getting a scholarship. And at the time it was actually getting a D1 scholarship because I was the kid who you know, didn't go hang out with my friends right. at mm-hmm. Froyo after school. I was shooting with my grandfather or training or I'd missing the parties to, you know, to go on a weekend trip. Yeah. I really you know, dedicated my life to athletic development. And looking back on that, I think I, you know, if I could do it over, I, or if I were to give my younger younger self advice, I would have told myself to relax a little bit and enjoy some of the success that I was having, because I was really, you know, lucky to have so much success and to have great coaches and great teammates and to chase state championships and all of the things that I was right. blessed to have. I'm wondering if you relate to any of that and how much you were able to soak in the success you had as a high school star.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I feel like in high school, like I never really felt that pressure. Like I, I just, I knew like, this is what I was going to do. And, I never really thought deeply on it. I think I think now, like when I went to college and then as a professional, I definitely am an overthinker. You know, you had mentioned a little bit about that, like having some sometimes having anxiety and stuff. Like definitely as I got older, but um, Mm. for some reason, my identity was definitely tied up with basketball. I mean, just like you said, I didn't hang out with anyone that wasn't playing basketball. Um, (laughs) I didn't go to any parties. I didn't. I literally didn't do anything outside of school and basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also didn't have that pressure on myself uh, and I, I can't explain why, you know, cause later, you know, especially as a pro when it becomes your job as maybe when it kind of flipped for me and mm. then there is some internal and external pressure at that point. But as a high school player, like, you know, after a high school game, whether I played good or played bad, I was off and headed to the gym. I mean, I just was headed to go play more pickup on a Friday night, you know, wow. um, so I yeah I I do feel lucky that I didn't I wasn't really overthinking I wasn't um you know contacting a bunch of colleges you know I wasn't super highly recruited I mean only you know I got letters and stuff but you know only three or four schools were really like showing high high interest in me but I don't know it didn't really bother me and when Santa Clara when the head coach saw me play I mean she was like instantly offered me a spot and I had to think about it for a little bit but it felt good to kind of be wanted you know just after one game um and so then once I you know kind of confirmed with them like then I just then I got to continue to just kind of play free that summer and didn't really have that you know kind of anxiety about whether or not I was going to be able to play like yeah I I, in a way I felt like I knew but also looking back I mean if you're watching me like there was years on AAU where I was on a B team or a C team in the area, <laughs> like, um, just cause there wasn't that many programs. So I wasn't like, you know, until high school, I wasn't like a top player in the area, but, mm. um, somehow it never really got to me.
1: Okay. And when, at what point in your high school career did you get the offer from Santa Clara?
0: Um, the head coach was new, uh, at the school and, um, she saw me play my junior summer. So I had always heard, and even now is coaching AAU. Um, That's kind of the big summer um, Mm -hmm. headed into your senior year. So um, she had seen me play early in that summer. And then we maintained kind of contact through phone calls and stuff like that. And then I did, yeah, accept the offer, you know, maybe mid-summer to late summer.
1: Okay. And that's, it's interesting. you, You mentioned that you weren't super... Active in reaching out to a ton of coaches, were you really just playing AU and, and school ball and let it and people noticed you without you having to put much effort into the process? How did you handle the recruiting process at the time?
0: Well, I've thought a lot about that because now I'm coaching kids that are you know that age are looking to play and um, looking back, I feel like I just didn't have any one really helping advise me. I mean, my parents were, you know, there for me and were helping me um, and I had great AAU coaches, but um, no one like sat me down and said, you know, here's things you can do. If there's a school that you like, you can reach out to them. You can send video. Hmm. Um, and so I think I kind of was just, coaches were contacting me and I would talk to them. I, you know, just cause I, I really didn't know. I mean, you, you have to make these decisions to where you're going to be, you know, when you're like 16 or 17 and where you're going to be, you know, when you're an adult yeah. and it just, I don't know if I just chose not to think about it or not, but um, so that's one thing I try to do now when I work with high school players is try to give them a little bit of advice about, you know, if there's a school you really like, go ahead and contact them or you know ask them questions about your position. You know, I never asked any of those questions. Like I didn't know what they. It ended up working out for the best. Um, She Mm -hmm. ran an offense that fit me perfectly, uh, but it would have been nice to have have known that beforehand. You know, while making the decision.
1: For sure. For sure. And were your parents athletes and how much were they involved in your athletic development?
0: Uh, no, they weren't athletes at all. Like neither. I think my sister swam a little bit. Um, but my sister or brother didn't really play any like team sports growing up and, uh, my parents didn't. Um, but once I found basketball, yeah, they, they were like super supportive. I mean, I think they knew I like loved it like right away. Mm. Um, So my dad was super awesome about getting me to and from practices, like all over the city, you know, we're really sprawled out here. So, you know, we could have been anywhere for a practice. Um, Yeah. So I didn't really have any like outside influence really. Like my friend when I was in fourth grade started playing basketball and she asked me if I wanted to play. And then that was kind of the end of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And what were your expectations like when you showed up to Santa Clara? Did you know when you left high school that you wanted to be a pro or were you just trying to fit in and do as best the job as you could? What was it like on that first day on campus and in your first season?
0: Yeah, it's, it's hard to remember. I mean, it's the time goes by so fast, you know? Um, yeah. But through the recruiting process, like I did, you know, tell the coaches I was talking to that I did want to play um, after college. And that was one way I felt like I connected with my college coaches. she mm saw that in me as well and said, you know, I, I think you can do that and I can help you do that. And, uh, so that was like one reason I chose that my, my college coach was a former point guard. So she played, you know, point guard and, um, in college and then, uh, made it to, I think like a couple of WNBA training camps and stuff. So I knew she had like the knowledge and the expertise to kind of like help me. And that was, I mean, for me, one of the deciding factors to go there. So,
1: okay, cool. So you had an excellent career at Santa Clara. I was just looking at your stats this morning and it looked like you (laughs) played right away and got better every season. And what kind of success did you guys have as a team? How was your team at Santa Clara?
0: I mean, you know, Santa Clara's in the WCC, so it's it's a mid-major school. You know, it's not a huge, big, big big-time school, but... um My recruiting class was our coach's kind of first recruiting class. Hmm. Um, And so a lot of girls came in. You know, we probably had, I think, five freshmen plus, like, a couple transfers. So it was, like, a whole new team, like, seven new – seven or eight new players. Hmm. Um, So our first year was pretty tough. I mean, we were learning her system. Um, You know, I think we only won eight or nine games. But, um, you know, moving into the next year, we ended up winning uh, the WCC championship. Um, Wow the like tournament championship, which was like really, especially awesome because, um, back then they used to hold it at like the school. So we were lucky enough that that year, Santa Clara was the venue. So it was like at home, you know, Mm -hmm. we had our home fans, my parents could fly out. Um, and we ended up beating, um, Gonzaga in the, in the tournament championship who, um, who hadn't lost a game that year. Actually, I think they were like 25 or 26 and oh, they just had had this spectacular season that year and we ended up beating them. So we went to the um, NCAA tournament. We lost in the first round, Um, but that's still such a cool experience to like, you know, have done that. And, and, and even we did compete. I felt like in that, in that game, we were a 15 seed. Uh, We played Stanford um, and we were, you know, down by eight or 10 at halftime, but, but they took it away in the second half for sure. I mean, they were a great team that year and they went on and went pretty far if I remember correctly. So, um, so we had success. I mean, the next year we went to the NIT um, and then my senior year, we unfortunately kind of, we didn't do as well in the tournament. And then it was just over, you know, if you don't, you know, at a mid-major school, typically if you don't win your tournament, you're not, you're not playing on, you know, you don't have postseason. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. Well, I didn't know that you knocked off undefeated Gonzaga. It sounds like that's a pattern for them to, to blow their perfect seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was was,
0: that? I mean, we, we what, played was that? Really what was that, what
1: was that game like, uh, was it close down to the wire? I'm sure that was intense knocking off an undefeated team.
0: Yeah, honestly, I remember it really well. Cause there was times throughout my career where sometimes I played a ton, some parts of the year I didn't play as much for whatever reason. And, and near the end of my sophomore year, I remember I wasn't playing that much. I mean, we had really good guards too, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was a, it was a fight in practice to, to get playing time. But, um, our starting point guard at that time got in foul trouble uh, within the first eight or nine minutes. And I remember I subbed in and we were down, maybe we were down, but, um, I subbed in and I actually like, I don't know what happened, what took me over. But, um, I came in and I hit like four threes in the first Mm. half we kind of ignited a run. So, um, and then other girls on my team just started knocking down threes and we ended up, um, going into halftime with like a 15 or 16 point lead. Um, and then you know, kind of maintaining that lead in the second half and winning, winning the championship. So yeah, it's pretty clear for me. I think I finished with 17 points, and they're all in the first half. Uh, didn't <laughs> nice. score in the second half. Yeah,
1: that's so cool, though. What what game was your nine three pointer game? Uh, was that what year was that?
0: Um, that was the following year. That was my junior year. Um, okay, and I do I remember that pretty well too, just because that was uh, at University of Portland, which are was like the games that my parents could usually make it to, they would drive down and then my friends or other family members, my high school coach came to that game. So that was pretty special. Like normal. I mean, my parents couldn't fly out to all my home games. Like only if we had like a, you know, the tournament was, was at our college. So they, they were able to come, but, um, so that felt special, right. To be able to like have a, have, that was probably my highest scoring game of my career and to be able to do it like with family and, and friends and, um, and see, and my high school coach yeah that was really cool because he hadn't seen me play in a couple years um, that's awesome yeah that was cool so cool
1: very cool I want to take a quick break from the conversation to thank you for listening to the podcast I love hearing from people who listen so if you're enjoying the episodes and you have a question or a critique or a suggestion or if you just want to say hi and connect you can email me at contact at billyhanson.net I want to remind you that my new book is coming out next year, March 26th. The book is titled Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared with a subtitle Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And the book is about my basketball journey. It's about growing up, about finding sustainable confidence on and off the court. It's about meditation and drugs and partying and being a athlete in the modern era. So, if you're interested, or if you know someone who might be interested, you can pre order a copy in either print, ebook, or audiobook format. You can find links to that in the show notes or search for it on Amazon. Best way to stay in contact with my work is through my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. And I've been hearing from some people that my emails have been landing in their promotions or spam folder. I've really done my best to research this and to figure out how to dodge those filters, but if they are landing in your promotions folder, if you could just drag them back to your inbox, that usually trains your email algorithm to not flag them as promotions. So you can stay caught up with my work. Another way to support the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show who might like it. So I really appreciate you listening. Thank you. And now back to the conversation with Ashley Graham. So then after Santa Clara, you went pro. And if I'm not mistaken, you started your career in Turkey. Is that right?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's correct. Um, Yeah, Turkey uh, is, uh, I don't know how I initially got in coming from a mid-major school, but um, I had a really good agent at the time. and, um, And that's a strong league. Like now, especially like it's primarily like the foreigners are mostly WNBA players mm. um so it was it was like it was awesome but it also was kind of like a shock it was a lot of new stuff a lot of um different kind of expectations like for point guards overseas i felt like then um than what i was doing in college um i felt like there was a lot more you know like ball screen actions like they just like get the get the ball to the point guard and run ball screens i was like Mm. every game and I just I, I just with the offense we ran in college like I had never really come off picking rolls before um so that mm. was kind of new for me you know that year was kind of I was like on a learning curve for sure I would say my rookie season overseas like learning what the expectations are um you know just just learning a different system right after playing four years in the same system yeah. it's just different
1: and you said that in your time as a pro you you started putting more pressure on yourself and feeling the external and internal expectations for you. And it became your job. Can you elaborate a little bit on how that psychology changed for you as a player in your professional career?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I tried to think about that. Um, I don't, I don't, it, it wasn't purposeful and it wasn't because it was a job, but I did feel like, um, I put more pressure on myself. I don't know. I try to look back and I don't know if it was because once you go overseas, like you're not in school anymore. Like there's nothing else going on, right? I'm overseas. Like not a lot of people are speaking English. Um, I don't have anything going on outside of basketball. Like I don't have any studies. So Mm -hmm. when you're not practicing over there, you're like not doing anything. And I think I just struggled kind of with that like dynamic of there's no access to a gym. I'm not getting like extra shots up just cause the gym time is really tight there from my experience of where I've been. Hmm. Um, so you're just kind of like, I feel like almost in a way, like you're at home or apartment or wherever you're living, just almost like dwelling on, Oh, how did I do at practice? Like, mm, I didn't play well this game or, hmm. you know, there wasn't really any like thing to distract you, I guess. Um, yeah. from, you know, you kind of like dwelling in your own mind. Um, and it was a hard season for me. I mean, it was like a big change. I mean, these are Turkey's one of the best, you know, leagues in the world with some of the best players in the world. So I'm trying to like, learn and compete and prove myself. And, you know, so it, it, it was a tough adjustment for me. Definitely.
1: Okay. And I'm correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think I read that you played all together in Turkey, Belgium, Slovakia, the Ukraine and Romania. Is that right?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's correct. In that order.
1: (laughs) And you did five seasons. Did you do? Did you do one season at each of these places?
0: Um, So uh, uh, what happened in Turkey was um, we came in with uh, like a new coach and uh, like four or five new Americans, and we just we weren't winning. And so I don't know if this is just what happens overseas, but if you're not performing or or the team's not performing, they just like kind of like. Cut your contract (laughs) and um so yeah it was that and maybe that's where the pressure came from who knows but you know Mm -hmm. with five i think we had five america four or five americans and they let like three go like right away so i was Mm -hmm. still there so i think two of us stayed they brought in new ones uh and then they fired the coach and then a new coach came in who didn't like you know bring me in with them um and and then i think it was around december they kind of let two other Americans go, including myself. So it's just kind of, I mean, it's kind of no BS, you know, you just, it's like, if you're not performing or they don't feel like you're performing, um, you know, you're out. So that year, halfway through the season and I had done okay. Like I, I, you know, I look back and I, I, I don't think I played terribly, but you know, the expectation, I think when you're a foreigner, you, you, you gotta come in and it's, you gotta dominate, (laughs) you gotta Mm. score. You know, you gotta, you gotta do a lot for them. And, um, and I wasn't. And so they, um, they just like kind of cut my contract after an away game. And then my agent was able to place me on another team without going home. I flew directly to Belgium. And so I finished out my first year in Belgium. Um, and then my other seasons, uh, I did play for a full year at each, each place. And I, I played two seasons in Ukraine. I played two different years, uh, in Ukraine.
1: Okay. And do you have a favorite season, uh, when you're playing pro one, one in which you, maybe you played the best or connected with teammates and coaches, what was your favorite memory of being a professional?
0: Yeah. Um, I think my first year in Ukraine, that was probably my third year playing. So I played in, um, Turkey and Belgium that first year and then Slovakia. And then by the third year in Ukraine, I feel like I was, I kind of. I worked on my craft, you know, that summer and I, and I got better. And that was probably my best year. Personally, our team didn't do that good, but, um, you know, to have a couple years where you didn't feel like you had success personally, and then to train and work and drill and like, you know, think on it and, and try to get better. And then, um, that's why my high scoring year. So I ended up averaging, I think 13, 14, 15 points a game,
1: nice.
0: um, and then getting to play all over Ukraine. Um. So that was, that was a cool year. I mean, that's, it was hard to play there. The country's like really big and we traveled by train. Um, So it was hard to play there because there was times where we were going like 27 hours by train, like across the country and then, you know, got there and maybe rested or maybe slept that night there and then played like the next morning. And then like, you know, came back 27 hours, you know? Mm. Um, So it was hard physically and mentally, but um, I feel like I was like, proud of myself to, you know, kind of not have a couple what I thought were like, super successful years, I still played fine, I still, you know, got another job, you know, someone thought I was playing good enough to offer a job to but um, not playing up to what I expected myself to play up to and then having that year of, of doing better and you know, having success winning some games, but definitely not in competition for the, you know, country championship or anything like that.
1: For sure. Did, was it a tough decision to finally hang up your sneakers? How did how did that go?
0: Yeah, like I, I feel like I never thought it was going to come, first of all. So it's like, you mm-hmm. know, when your identity is like wrapped up in being a basketball player, it's like this was like eight or nine years ago. And it still kind of makes me emotional to think about, you know, but um, yeah. it was getting harder to like go over there and then, um, you know, be away from family for so long and then sometimes have success, sometimes don't. When no. you go over there, you kind of don't know this, you know, you sign a contract and you're supposed to have this living condition and this access to the gym, but sometimes you get over there and it's, it's not necessarily what you expected. You might not be able to get into the gym when they said you would be able to get into the gym or, you know, you might be practicing less than you thought or more than you thought. And so it, it just got hard to like, you know, stay focused on like developing myself and, and competing at a high level. Um, I still wanted to play i mean even after that last year i still wanted to go but then i kept thinking you know it's it's not going to be like you know either a great living situation or like gym access or it just wasn't like for me like the op like optimal way to like continue to develop i guess if that makes sense um yeah. and i didn't want to be like stagnant so i guess it was like you know you either quit or you you continue on that road but um you know i wasn't in you know like the russia where it's super high level you know great coaches like access to trainers you know there's times where i was like taping my own ankles because we didn't have trainers we didn't have access to ice places that, you know it just mm. it wasn't always the best conditions but because you love it and it's like all i've ever known you yeah. just you kind of you try to push through those things so i felt like that was getting hard um you know my parents were getting older and i wanted to be home um, but I still struggle with it. I mean, if I'm being honest, like I I miss it every day. I mean, it's been, I think my mm-hmm. last year I played was 2013. And it's like, oh man, like, do I want to go back and play? I mean, I'm not in the shape that I was, you know, obviously I've been practicing like a professional player, but I, I miss, I miss playing and like preparing and spending my time and, you mm-hmm. know, thinking about how to, what, how can I make this part of my game better? You know, all that. I really miss it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. I mean, I didn't have anywhere near the success that you had. I didn't play professionally and I, you know, but I, even when my career ended, I was, I was really excited to have some free time outside of basketball to explore. Like Mm -hmm. I remember just being in college and seeing my friends who, you know, you scroll Instagram and it seems like everyone's either always at a music festival or like a new waterfall or like, while I'm in some bus going to South Dakota. And so it's it's like, it's easy to to glorify the non-athlete life. But when my career finally did end, I didn't really realize how much I was depending on that anchor of like, okay, what is my basketball workout today? You know, am I doing shooting? Am I doing ball handling? Am I, am I lifting mm-hmm. weights? Am I running? I, I didn't really understand that without a season to prepare for, that I would just have so much, like way too many options in life. And I, 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 that was really tough for me mentally to transition out of having that craft to always prepare for. And even when basketball was going bad and I hated it, I, you know, I didn't know that there was some hidden secret meaning that it was giving to me, you know, just that, that, like that struggle that adds meaning to your life. And so, yeah, I can totally relate to to that. And I, you know, I play city league now, but it's really not the same. It's like
0: yeah, you know, yeah. uh,
1: having the, the kind of adrenaline that comes from playing college basketball. Was there any? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, that's exactly how I feel.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Was there any, um, did you have any thoughts of something else to do with your life other than become a coach and a trainer? Like, did, when you finished your career, were you deciding what to do? Were you trying different things? Or did you know all along that you would continue with the game and helping young people?
0: I mean, I just, for how much I loved it as a player, like, I knew I couldn't be away from the game, you know? And so, I, I like, coaching and training is just, like, the next step, I feel like. Because, I mean, I guess you go into, like, you know, front office type stuff. But, like, I like being on the court. Like, mm-hmm. I like, you know, I loved training myself like not a lot of even like pro players i don't think not all, even a lot of them can say like that they really really like relish like the training part you know they get they you know they want breaks so they get tired like i loved it and like you said even when i hated it like i loved that struggle um yeah. so i knew like i had to be on the court like um you know so uh right when i got back when i just dis- sort of when i sort of decided i was done there was never like a decision like i'm done it mm-hmm. was more of like when I came back from Romania, I'm thinking about it like, gosh, how hard would it be to go back again or, you know, what if the situation isn't good or then the um, coaching job at my old high school opened up that, like that same around that same time. And I was like, well, maybe I should just interview for it and we'll go from there. And, uh, you know, and then I got the job. So then I was like, OK, well, I, you know, I'm here, you know, I guess I'm here then. Um, and so it's more kind of, I don't know if I've ever like told myself, like I'm absolutely done playing basketball, you know, um, like you, I still play women's league. Um, I still played um, pretty competitively a couple years ago with um, the USA FIBA, like three on three, like that kind of mm-hmm. new style. that's going to be an Olympic game this year. Um, oh, cool. And I got into that. Um, but still, like, not putting the time in that I did when I was a pro, like, it doesn't feel the same, right? Like, I'm not preparing myself like I used to. And I have other stuff going on. I have a job, I'm training, I'm coaching. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 still a struggle. I mean, if I'm being honest, it's definitely, you know, still still something I think about, like, do I want to go back to playing? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 36 now. It's, there's, you know, not really an opportunity to go back. But, yeah. Um, this yeah. is the next step for me, then, is really the, the training. I mean, there wasn't really another option, for, in my opinion, for myself, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think probably three, <laughs> four, maybe five times a year when I'm staring at an Excel spreadsheet and I want to, like, jump out my window, I'll, uh, I'll just I'll, – I'll be like, should I just book a one-way ticket to Costa Rica and go play semi-pro? like try try, try to make a team
0: (laughs) i mean and there's opportunities out there like that and i'll see something pop up on facebook like just like you said i'm like oh should i go like something in australia you know in your mind you're like and then you remember like all your obligations you know you're in the middle of a high school season or whatever it is you know um yeah no i totally totally get it and so i feel like i haven't you know kind of like moved on from that identity yet (laughs) sadly maybe sadly i don't know it's just like so, I mean, you got to like, you know, grow and, and I got to really, if I'm going to stick with coaching and training, like, I guess, learn to identify with it more. And, and, you know, I, I love it, but I don't love it. Like I loved playing, if that hmm. makes sense. Yeah.
1: That's fascinating. Well, it seems like you've done a great job as a coach. I, I read that you, the team you took over was like a three win team and you won conference a couple years later. So how how did you... How was that transition and how, how did you build the program up in just such a short time? I realize uh, that's kind yeah. of a that's kind of a broad question, but you can you can take that however you want.
0: Yeah, it was hard. I mean, I had never really coached before and I've never like assisted. I, I mean, looking back, it would have been nice to assist for a few years just to get the feel for things. But um, we had a really good like a, I want to say a strong freshman class when I came in my first year. So we didn't have success that first year. They were all so young. But they really developed and then uh then our um our team actually switched down to a different league it's not up or down necessarily we were 4a and then we switched to 3a which is technically for smaller schools because we're right on that cusp of Mm. being like either you know a 4a or 3a school and so um our school elected to move to 3a and then and then we did find success i mean i'm not saying like 3a was was worse or better but for us the teams we were playing against um, we just had more success against them. So I think by like our third or fourth year, when those first group of freshmen girls were, you know, juniors and seniors was when we really started to, you know, gel and the girls were playing a little more outside of season. Um, and we ended yep. up, I think, I think we won the conference. Um, yeah. One year. Um, mm-hmm. So that was cool. I mean, to build up and get just like a little bit better each year. Um, it, it was cool. I mean, we don't have a lot of kids at my school for whatever reason that play year round for a lot of them, it's either their second sport or just kind of um, almost like a hobby, you know, something that they do and they enjoy it. And they're there when it's season, but they're not putting the time in outside of season. Like a lot of our competitors are right. Like the, the conference we you know, we're in, we're back in 4A now. It's so competitive. I mean, last year um, we were 4A again and you know, three of the top 10 teams were in our conference. So we're playing three of the top 10 teams in the whole state, you know, Mm. six times in, in our season. So it's just hard. I mean, when girls play year round and then some of our kids are only playing, you know, 10 weeks a year, it's just, it, it makes it tough, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. So you studied psychology and philosophy in college and did you take anything from your studies to the court either with either as a player or as a coach?
0: I like to think that I did, um, but, you know, looking back, it's like, Hey, I, you know, majored in psych and it's like, do I even remember anything? <laughs> I mean, from my, you know, to, like being honest, yeah. like, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, but the, like I mentioned to you before, like I, I studied psychology knowing like, Hey, this is going to help me as a player. Like I'm gonna learn how mm. my mind works. And then, um, that's going to help me in coaching, um, you know, after I am done playing. So I, you know, now I I love to read about it. Like I'm just interested in it. So I definitely, um, you know, now as a coach, like I'm reading, you know, books about, you know, sports psychology, um, you know, different, you know, books on teamwork, even like almost like business oriented books that are, you know, how to build mm-hmm. a great team, you know, things like that. Like I'm just, I'm very interested. So I do try to now purposely, you know, learn more and try to apply that, um, when I'm coaching. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Do you have, are there any books that come to mind that have made a, uh, that have been especially impactful to you either as a coach or a player?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, I just finished reading, I forget the name. Oh yeah. I just finished reading the book. Um, it takes what it takes, I think is what it's called. Hmm. Um, and it's written by, um, he's kind of like a sports psychologist guy for like Russell Wilson and a lot of other like professional athletes. Mm. And what I really loved in his book was, um, he wasn't like promoting like positive thinking. He was promoting neutral thinking, right? Like, can you approach, like when you're in a game, like these situations, like with neutral thinking, like you don't have to have this false sense of positivity if the situation isn't positive, but it's not Mm. having that nagging kind of like negativity that's there. Right. So it was really, um, approaching it with a neutral mind. And I think, you know, for me finishing out my career, like that would have been helpful to have read, you know, 10 years ago. Um, yeah. because I do feel like even when I felt really confident on the court, like there's times where, you know, you dwell on a game, like you don't sleep well after or, or whatever. And, um, to be able to kind of like take a step back and kind of, you know, not have those like negative feelings creeping up and also not like substituting in kind of, for me, what I think of as like fake rah-rah or fake positivity um, when it's, you know, when it's not there, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, I want to, I want to ask you a few questions about that. So I, for a while, you know, I was dealing with some pretty bad performance anxiety as a player early on in my college career. And one of the techniques that I initially adopted, which I've heard has worked with some athletes, but I, I think it was actually counterproductive for me, was this kind of raw, raw, positive thinking. Like I would watch that. Um, I don't know if you've seen this video, like you got to want to succeed more than you want to breathe. <laughs> and like all this.
0: Yeah. And like, yeah. you know,
1: I would try to tell myself, but you know, I was, I was an anxious fucking wreck in the locker room. And
0: right. then I would try
1: to tell myself like, you're the best shooter on the team, you're the best, year. you're a great player. And it was, it was almost right. like, it was like a positive hypnosis that I was trying to perform on myself that really yeah. was kind of surface level and it wasn't genuine. And it wasn't until I've developed a new technique with my sports psychologist that I found that I was able to actually apply things that worked in terms of building sustainable con- yeah. confidence. And one of those things was rather than the language and the kind of stories that I was repeating to myself, it was more of imagery and like actually just uh, seeing and feeling myself shoot with good balance and a good follow through. And that sort of broke the spell for me, like learning how to actually visualize myself on the court. And it took me a level beneath language. And it wasn't as, it wasn't as caught up as in good or bad thinking. It was more of like, place your attention on something that is more like the experience of playing well, if that makes sense. Um, and oh, beyond beyond that, it was like rather than trying to f- like fight with your anxiety and think your way out of it, it's more of pay attention to it and then place your place your attention on your feet on the floor or how the ball feels or what your job is on the next play. And so I'm not sure if this book that you read relates to that in any way, but I can certainly relate to the the rah rah kind of faux positive thinking often being counterproductive, especially for players like me who tend to overthink things anyway. So I don't know if you can pick up on any of that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That's really cool. Um, you know, what you just said, you know, you, you hear sports psychology, you know, visualize, visualize, but I like sort of what you said along the lines of, um, you know, going below the surface of language that is so surface, you know, um, and kind of, visualizing on it to me that's almost a deeper level even than just like regular visualization because sometimes when you visualize you know you are thinking in words you know so it sounds like you know you're on like almost like a deeper a deeper level there yeah i mean that's super interesting to me i think that's that's definitely true um and i what i'm seeing a lot of is yeah not trying to fight that anxiety because i mean i think at one point or another even some of the best players in the world you know they they struggle at some point with, um, you know, either low confidence or, you know, they have off games, right? Like why are, why are some of these best shooters in the world? They're not worse one night than another night. Like, how are they having off games or off weeks or, you know, and you, you see it even at the pro level. So, um, so I do think like kind of that mastery of the mind or like almost like placing your attention in the right place is kind of where it's at. You know, if your attention is on your anxiousness or on, um, you know, missing the shot rather than, you know, whatever. Like, wh- I mean, I'm sure as a shooter, you've been in the zone before in that game, you know, I had nine threes, like I was in the zone, like you're you're not thinking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and yeah. and so that's what I like about the neutral thinking aspect of, uh, you can't tell yourself not to think, right? Like, I mean, when you're not thinking and you're in the moment, you're not actually telling yourself that, you yeah. just are. Um, and so I, I, I do think like, with neutral thinking that's like the best way to get to that kind of feeling
1: yeah yeah when you're when you're locked in when you're in the zone it would seem crazy to have to tell yourself that you're a good shooter it's like you don't need to convince yourself you already know it right um
0: yeah totally
1: do you do you you remember at any point point an especially bad shooting slump that you went through and if so do you remember how you dealt with that
0: Um, i think i have two that i kind of remember um right when i came into santa clara as a freshman i uh i did i was like shooting bad i mean shooting like threes specifically bad and i was still getting a lot of playing time because um, a lot of our guards were injured luckily i guess for me just to still have that opportunity to play when i wasn't shooting well Mm -hmm. and um the way i had dealt with it was similar to you i mean before games, I would go and like, just shoot by myself. And like, I would try visual- visualization. I mean, I didn't have anyone like talking me through it or anything. And I remember, um, you know, going to the gym late at night and just shooting threes. like, okay, let's go get up fifty threes or whatever. Um, but I still, I did, I felt, I, I felt anxious. Like I do remember telling someone I had looked at my stats and I was like shooting 18% from three pointers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only like six or seven games into the season, you know, mm-hmm. but for me, that's, you know, that's That's bad. I mean, that's bad for anybody. That's, that's super (laughs) bad. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I think, I don't know. I just, that continued work of like, I think I tried to visualize myself from, you know, when I was in high school and I was, you know, I tried to visualize those games where I was like making those shots and, you know, knocking them down. And then, um, finally, I think it just sort of clicked one game. Like, I don't know, like, I still shot it. I let it go. I let a shot go. And I was like, it didn't even feel good, but then it went in. And then later mm-hmm. in the game, I hit another one, and I was like, "Oh!" And then suddenly, like the rest of the season, like no issues, like zero. I, I end up shooting, I think like, I don't know, my freshman, year, but it was around forty-four or 45, 46 percent from yeah, three after it. six or yeah. seven games. Yeah.
1: You must have shot the shit out of it after that I eighteen mean, percent. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just.
0: I guess so. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it just clicked for me, and and I did. I shot really well the rest of the year. And I had the green light to shoot, you know, she recruited a bunch of shooters. I mean, we were, we were a good shooting team across the board. I mean, it wasn't just myself, but um, yeah, I mean, so I, I did work through it that time. And then the other time I didn't ever get an opportunity to work through was the end of my senior year at Santa Clara, for whatever reason, I had shot pretty good all up until that point. But the last, you know, seven or eight games, maybe, which is a significant part of your season, you know, it's a third of your season or so I just, and I don't know if it was, you know, like sometimes you have a bad game and then the next game you're fine and you don't worry about it, but it was just like game after game. And suddenly I did have that kind of like, it's like, why? Like, you know, you're just asking yourself like, why, why can't I make this? And then you're, you're just dwelling on it. And instead of. You know looking back at that time i wish i would have just stepped away from it mentally and just focus on a different part of my game you know i i was the point guard too you know there's other things i could be doing to help my team and not yeah. like dwell on the fact that i'm missing threes which was my specialty i mean that's what i was out there to do as well but um and then the season ended right so i ended up like closing out the season and we lost and i just never you know it's like hard to kind of reflect back on that. Cause it was like, we had a great team and we should have done better than we did. And we just kind of went through like a losing streak near the end of that year. And then on top of that, I'm not shooting well. Um, you know, it just, it, it was hard and that was, yeah, it was really tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those can be really hard for sure. Um, I'm curious about your in-season routine. It sounds like you were really dedicated to your training and there seems like there's different kinds of shooters. Some like to get, you know, a ton of shots up, see the ball go through the net as many times as they can to, to remain confident and to remain sharp as a, as a shooter. Other shooters like to just feel the rhythm during a season, just shoot enough to mm-hmm. so where they feel good and then kind of step away from it. What was your training regimen like as a player in terms of keeping your shot tuned during the season? And I'm wondering if it changed or evolved at all throughout your career
0: yeah that's a good question um i think throughout college like when i was you know really locked in and 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 shooting a high percentage it was really like after practice i would stay a little bit and just like you know get up maybe 53s and 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 or 50 makes you know and feel good like Mm -hmm. and then that was it um i did always i was always the first one to the game so if we played at like you know seven or you know I think we usually played at seven in the evenings in college. Like I was there at five. So I was the first one there unless girls were getting treatment. So I would get there and I would get shots up before the game, you know, try to get, I don't even know how many. It's just like until I felt pretty good, you know, but I would warm up inside. I would work my way out. I'd get up a bunch of threes before, you know, everyone was there. So I like balls weren't flying. I could see the ball go in the hoop. Um, So I was like, I would say pretty committed. I mean, I wasn't shooting, you know, like five or 600 a day during season or anything like that. Um, but then I think, you know, like as a pro, especially when there's like nothing else going on, like I wanted to be in the gym more and sometimes you don't have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was hard because like, sometimes we'd show up to a game, like 20 minutes before the game was going to start. And there's like, there's no warm up, you know, there's no, there's no shots, there's no shooting. So then mentally you had to sort of like adjust to that, you know, maybe getting off a train after 12 hours and then Mm -hmm. you're going straight to the gym. And it's like, you know, so having to adjust to that was difficult because I did have that, you know, kind of routine where I'm like the first one there. I'm getting up, you know, at least a hundred shots probably before anyone's there, and you know, um, so I would say like I would have wanted to maintain like, and you know, in the off seasons when I'm home, I definitely like shot more and more than I probably even did as a college player, right? Like just really making sure it was you know on and felt good and um, get up the reps in the off season but the difficulty of overseas is you just don't get that opportunity. If you are set on having like some sort of like consistent regime, you're not going to get it, you know. And it's and maybe different places have, you know, where everywhere I played, that's how it was. You know, it sometimes we'd be at the gym early, sometimes we like are walking in the door with like 15 minutes to go. So, it's mm-hmm. just like to have your mind have to be set on something consistent like if, that's, you know, if your game's going to be dependent on that, then you're not going to really have success over there. Um, yeah,
1: that's interesting. Yeah, that must be tough to to not have a clear routine and still have to knock right. down shots and, and perform. That sounds tough. Yeah. So I want to bounce a little bit. This is slightly off topic, but uh, I read on your website one of the lines that stuck out was, I truly believe in the power... This is you, by the way, writing. I truly believe in the power... <laughs> of basketball to transform the individual into into their best possible selves. Can you expand mm-hmm. on that and how you think about basketball as it relates to personal development?
0: Uh, yeah, Wow. that is, yeah, that's good. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, I think, like, once I found basketball, like, it just was, it was so early in my life that I do feel like it helped me kind of develop all of my life skills. Like, for one, like, I was a pretty quiet kid, so instantly i'm having to interact with people and get to know people and some of my best friends come from even as early as fourth and fifth grade teams Hmm. um and then on top of that you know having to go through struggles you know how are you getting through this like you know what kind of characteristics are you developing um all that like i learned from basketball i mean i wasn't really you know doing anything else so um you know being able to push myself through struggles like um you know make friends like develop those qualities of like you know of like adults that you see out there that are successful and you kind of like see them as role models like i i definitely think basketball does that i mean i feel like it's just like this like microcosm of you know like life you know this is this is the path i chose as uh, someone who loved basketball and something else could be that you know tennis for somebody else or or math or something for somebody else you know um that helps you develop like those those skills and those characteristics that you want to like have success, you know, when you're, when you're older.
1: Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. You, ha- you have this business where you run basketball camps called Pinnacle Hoops and it's a cool website. It looks like some very cool camps. You've got some great reviews. How are you trying to integrate that spirit of developing the person both on and off the court into your camps?
0: Yeah. Good question. Um, well, firstly, like I call it pinnacle hoops, um, because, uh, you know, for me, like just as a basketball player and, and and off the court is like pinnacle to me means like reaching your best possible self as a player, you know, so reaching mm-hmm. your pinnacle. Um, that's like a little band that I give out at, you know, a little sports band at camp, like reach your pinnacle, you know, challenge yourself, be the best player you can. And through that process of being the best player, you can like really sort of master yourself uh, as a person. So... I mean, definitely uh, it's, you know, mostly basketball oriented for, for all my camps. Um, but you know, one of my main camps, the complete player camp, like I really do try to, um, you know, teach girls stuff that's going to help them if they're not going into pro basketball. Right. So like things like goal setting, like you're going to need that your whole life. So when they do it at camp, it's for basketball, but in life, like it's important to know how, okay, how do I set a goal? How do I achieve this goal? Um, you know, I've done confidence building exercises just based on things I've read, things I've seen on the internet, you know, what are some of the best methods out there? You know, I didn't create any of them, but, um, you know, some methods for, you know, building confidence, um, things you've already said, like visualization and, you know, and giving the girls worksheets for that, because in the end, you know, if they can help, if they don't have confidence in basketball and they can kind of develop it. Then when they do something different outside of basketball, another sport or whatever in life, like they've already gone through that process of what that means and and how to apply that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely try to push that, especially with the girls. I mean, uh, my camps are only all girls. I just, that was kind of my niche. Like I just sort of, I, that's who I thought I would have like access to while I was home. And, um, and so I, you know, I don't know if anyone else is out there really doing only girls camps. Um, and so it's kind of a cool atmosphere where we're kind of coming together and helping to, to kind of build them up as, as young women too.
1: Cool, that's really cool. And so what, what you, you say you do confidence building exercises with visualization and worksheets. I'm, I'm trying to just, just picture how that looks in your camp. So like, are you sitting them down in some kind of classroom setting to fill out worksheets? Are you asking them questions? Is it more on the court? Can you give me, Can you give me an example of one of these exercises that you're doing with the girls you work with?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, typically, you know, at that camp, we do we separate them into the kind of like the older girls and the younger girls. And um, while one group is in the gym, we actually went to a classroom with the other group, of probably 30 to 35 girls. And um, for that camp, I made like a like a workbook. So there's different things in the workbook, you know, little workouts like ball handling routines they can be doing and then um some different like worksheets and stuff so yeah we sat down we talked about it like kind of just like what confidence meant to them so they're like giving input um and then i i think i made a little true and false questionnaire like what you know what uh, you know being cocky or whatever is that confidence like, and just sort of try to work them through like a true and false thing and then we did like a worksheet on um the thing that I thought was important to teach him was kind of like reframing. I think we kind of discussed this a little bit. So, you know, instead of telling themselves like, Oh, I'm a terrible dribbler, like trying to reframe it into something different, like, okay, this is something I need to work on. You know, mm. um, again, not the false positivity, like, oh, I'm a great dribbler when they're not, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but reframing, you know, or if you're getting a bunch of turnovers in a game or your shot is off, not, you know, girl, a lot of players will tell themselves, oh, I'm a terrible shooter, or I'm, I'm terrible today you know, and it's try to reframe it like, oh, I missed that one, you know, um, mm. I'll get the next one or, or whatever it is. And so they're sitting there like, you know, writing down answers. So they're actually having to come up with those answers themselves so that they know it's something that will work for them. You know, you, I don't want to like feed them, you know, things to say necessarily when it comes from within, then, you know, yeah. they're, it's something maybe they can translate quickly and actually utilize then if it comes from within themselves.
1: Nice, nice. Well, that's really great. I, I, it seems to me like you're probably making a really great impact on a lot of young people. So that, keep it up. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you. <laughs>
1: this is sort of off topic, but I, I came across this on your Instagram page. Are you a Yuval Harari fan? Did you read Homo Deo?
0: Oh, yeah, I did. I was like, who is that for a second? Um, <laughs> yes, just recently I read, I think, doesn't he have three books in a row, kind of? Mm-hmm um yeah no I read all three of them last year I think COVID hit and I was like "Ooh, what am I gonna do and so I just like I tried I normally don't read that much I had always wished that I would have read more Mm -hmm. um and so that I did I read um all of his books and I I did really enjoy them yeah I thought I thought they were awesome I actually listened to them on audible that was the first time I used audible and mm. it was like awesome because I was like could do stuff. I could go on a walk or, um, you know, do whatever I needed to do and, and listen to it. Uh, I really enjoyed his books. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The What is it? Sapiens, Deus*, and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century? 21 right?
0: Lessons. Yes. That yeah. was it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those are really great. Kind of scary a little bit the way what he predicts is going to come. But um, they were definitely worth reading for sure.
0: Yeah, I just for me, it was eye opening. You know, I didn't really study, you know, anthropology or anything in school. So for me, it just it was interesting, um, scary, but uh, eye opening, I feel like and I've been interested kind of in, you know, that kind of stuff since you know, trying to read more. I read like Ishmael. Um, What's that? That is like my favorite book right now. Oh, gosh, and now I'm forgetting the author off the top of my head. But it's like this. It's a story. I really recommend it because it's like for me, I, it, uh, Bill actually recommended it to me who you know who kind of connected us. Mm. Um, he said you should read this if you liked um, the other series of books, and it's it's a story about a gorilla that talks, and it sounds crazy, but um, it's kind of about um, man and their effect on on the world and on on you know Earth and um, what that kind of means, um, and so that uh-huh. was yeah. I, I loved it, I yeah, so that's kind of my new interest, so that Ishmael.
1: Ishmael, okay, I'll have to look that yeah. up, sounds cool.
0: Yeah, I recommend okay. it for sure.
1: Cool, any other great books you've read during COVID?
0: Oh gosh, well all three, so that was the three series, and then Ishmael is kind of like a three-part series as well, so mm. uh, Daniel Quinn, that's the author I'm. Okay. Uh, so I did read, I, I read all three of his books, so all in a row, so um and then i just read a fourth one by him as well i just i really enjoyed i really enjoyed like his writing style and um just what he was saying so uh i would say his books were kind of the main main ones i've read this last year yeah
1: okay cool what are your what are some things you like to do outside of basketball
0: (laughs) i feel like there isn't outside of basketball um (laughs) Well, um, I just moved out to Carnation, Washington with my boyfriend. We bought a house out here um, mm. and it's kind of like 20 minutes from the city. So it's almost has a small city feel um, mm. and it's, there's like outdoor stuff, like there's trails and stuff. And I had never really been into that. But I think with COVID um, I have really enjoyed, like, you know, we go biking and um, running outside, which like I've never enjoyed, but um, it's mm. kind of like out here and it's like, you can see all the mountains out here cause we're like away from the city. So I've enjoyed that. Like, you know, COVID for me, like it was just like everyone else. I mean, I think people struggled with it, um, but I was okay with it because I'm not like – I never really hung out with a ton of friends at one time anyway, so I I thought like it did push me to go outside more and enjoy nature more, which has been um, – that's completely new for me. So that's my new thing. I like going biking, like leisurely, like not like go fast or go up hills. Like I like just like cruising and like enjoying the – wind yeah. in my face, but I mean, I'll be honest, there isn't much time outside of basketball. You know, I'm coaching a lot. I'm training a lot. When I work out, I still like to do basketball workouts. Like they're more fun to me than running on a treadmill or lifting. I mean, I lift when I can, but I still love being in a gym. So, um, there's still, yeah. you know, basketball for me, it's, maybe it's not 24 seven anymore, but you know, maybe like 27, 27. I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. I agree. I love getting cardio in by doing an old school shooting workout, pretending like I'm yeah. prepping for the season, like spot to spot, yeah. <laughs> some ball handling. Yeah, I still love that too. That's great. Uh, so a couple more questions for you. Let's yeah. say an ath- a young athlete is going through the re- recruiting process today, and they asked you what they should look for in a college. What kinds of things would you recommend that they prioritize in trying to find a great fit at the college level?
0: Um that's a great question. Um well, like number one, I try to ask them like if they know what they want to study and if the school is offering that, you know, um, if they Mm -hmm. have their mindset on certain what like something certain or specific, like then you gotta make sure like your school choice or the you know the team you're looking at aligns with that. A lot of kids aren't gonna have that decided, and if that's not a deciding factor, you know, I tell the girls to um if they're talking to coaches, like ask the coaches what are they running? Where do they see you fit in? Like, Mm. do you want to get playing time or are you, are you okay with, you know, maybe going to a bigger school and not playing? Like, you know, what are your priorities going in and have those in mind when you're talking to these coaches? Cause I definitely didn't, I didn't ask any, like I mentioned, I didn't ask any questions and, um, you know, it worked out for the best for me. I loved my experience and I loved my teammates and all that, but it easily could have gone badly. Right. Um, and you're starting to see a lot of kids transfer from schools maybe maybe they didn't know what to expect or um you know and they have they all have their own reasons but um maybe by going in with kind of more foresight you know having a better understanding of their role and the expectation that the coach has for that player what position they're going to see like play you at things like that i would definitely i mean i've told girls you got you got to ask you got to ask or i mean you're never going to know and you're going to show up and then that's it, you know?
1: Yeah. It's so hard to communicate that to a young athlete. I mean, I think there are probably people who try to tell me that too in okay. high school. <laughs> but I I don't know. I like – it's all I – you know, you're so caught up in like the status of where you're going. Yeah. And now it's like the Instagram post. But oh, I, I really think if anyone's listening to this who's a young athlete, like to, to heed that advice because – you know the the experience that you have in college for 4 years is so much more important than the the brief hit of status or validation that you get from signing day and i agree i think a lot of kids you know a lot of my friends who played in college too had the same experience where they didn't really know what they were getting into and they didn't ask the right questions and they didn't really try to find the the appropriate fit in college and so i think those are all great um, great things to think about when you're going through the recruiting process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of, um, you know, high school athletes think they, they want to play D one, like they, they have to play D one, you know, that's again, like kind of going along with what you're saying about status when maybe a D school is a better fit for them. I mean, and it's still a scholarship, you know, if, if your family needs you to have a scholarship, um, if your family doesn't need you to have a scholarship and they can afford to pay, you know a d3 school could be awesome for you academically um yeah. and still challenging basketball wise or ivy league school right so um i do feel like uh, you know the instagram post and i got this offer and you know um i think that it's not just about the division you're playing in. it's all tough i've seen girls gone and play d3 and they're you know they're practicing just as often just yeah. as much you know i mean it's obviously a little more demanding at d1 but um it's still like it's still a job and you know and if you do go d3 like you you still like you're still there all the time you know and you got to love it to play at all i i feel like to play any level community college anything you have to love it because it's time consuming um and it, it it's just yeah i mean and emotionally too you know it takes up your time it takes up your emotions and you're not gonna have as much time for other things regardless of what level uh you're playing at
1: yeah, I couldn't agree more with that for sure. So I've also had quite a few friends at the college level who wanted to play professionally. I wanted to play professionally too, and then I just you know didn't have the kind of college career that I wanted, and I was ultimately mm-hmm. just satisfied with having a final good season. And I hung it up after college. But many of my okay. friends who had great college careers, you know they say, you know I'm going to go overseas, I'm going to get an agent. And it seems like so many of them just get chewed up by that system and spit out and mm. they just don't really either land you know, on a team that they want to be on or they pay a bunch of money for showcase camps and they don't actually, right. you know, make any real connections. And then beyond that, I would, I'd like to ask a question specifically to you. Like I, I played in a three on three tournament in Denver and I was playing against a girl named... Oh man, I forgot her name. I think it was Shay, mm-hmm. Shay something and she was a WNBA player who was also okay. playing in Israel and maybe China oh, okay. sometimes. Okay. And I was and she was I was guarding her and she was giving me buckets. It was crazy. And, and like <laughs> and I was yeah, asking girls her can I was asking her questions and she was saying that yeah, I play for the WNBA but I really make my money in Israel or in China okay, yeah. and she mm-hmm. she was doing these tours. So I'm wondering if you have any advice specific to a finding an agent and trying to make a connection overseas and then maybe b, specifically for girls who are trying to carve out, you know, a real living and trying to optimize their value as a player. Do you have any thoughts on on either of those questions or both?
0: Yeah, it is hard. Like you're talking about the system, like kind of chewing them up and spitting them out. I mean, one you you have to find an agent i mean it's hard to connect over there i mean you i've seen i've had friends reach out individually on like eurobasket to coaches you know to hundreds of them and just never hear anything back you know so i was lucky enough to find an agent just through like a mutual friend who was using that agent and he was awesome to get me placed right away um, so I was lucky. Like I had reached out to some agents and wasn't having any luck. They weren't even responding <laughs> to mm-hmm. me. So I, I don't really have a, advice on how to find an agent, but that that's like, you got to find one. And once you get out there, then you start, you can build your own connections at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the player that you played against um, uh, initially. Yeah. I mean, there were, there's some WMA players that they make a lot more money Overseas. Now there was like a new collective bargaining agreement within the last two years in the WNBA. So the salaries have gone up significantly. Mm. But before that, you know, girls were playing 12 months a year who were good enough to play in the WNBA. Um, because one, the WNBA is the best league in the world. So they want to play in it, but they're making more playing overseas. So they're really taxing their body a lot of these, a lot of these girls. So I think now with the, you know, new agreement that those, those, um, those women can now make a choice, right? Now they're making more home side so they can decide if, oh, I do, I want to go play, you know, and they're able to make that decision. Whereas previously they may have had to go overseas when maybe they wanted to to rest and prepare, Hmm. you know, for WNBA season. Um, So yeah, I mean, my only advice would be, you know, find an agent and then you might not know what you're getting into. No matter what contract you sign, it overseas, it doesn't necessarily mean what it is. And you know, try to make the most of your situation. And uh, if if it's not working for you, to get out, you know, and you might have to make that decision and and try to find another another way, you know, um, yeah. or you know, co- con- connect with your agent and you know, hey, they didn't they didn't follow this contract or they didn't do this or they're you know, I've I've had. Um, friends who have gone out there and haven't been paid for months and months. Like they're just not paying them, you know? Mm. And it's like, you can't, you got to kind of respect your time and yourself uh, and your situation out there for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's got to be a hard thing. Cause especially for, for athletes like, like you, and there's so many of us out there who are so dedicated to the craft and they love to play and they just want another opportunity to play.
0: Right. But, but you're
1: also, <laughs> you're also getting into your mid twenties where, you know, a lot of your, you, it's a, it's a pretty big opportunity cost where you could be developing yourself in some other career. So you have to weigh the pros and cons. And if you're getting taken advantage of, like you're not actually getting paychecks yeah, and you're not really being paid for your time, it might be the best decision as hard as that might be to, to hang it up. Um, But yeah, I know it's interesting to, to, to talk to people because there's so many stories of, of players who are, you know, I had some friends who are super good, like really, really good players. You know, this is at the D2 level. So right. you also think about like all of the division one guards or players right. who, who are also trying to go overseas, who will be competing. You know, you got that D2 next to your name. It's going to be harder to land on. Uh, totally. To, to, to find a fit. So yeah, it seems like a tough thing, but it really is. If for someone who isn't, hasn't experienced the kind of, identification and commitment to a sport to just think oh you just you shouldn't go play it's it's a lot harder than it seems to just to just sim- oh, it's, simply hang up the shoes it's you know? so
0: hard yeah and I think you're exactly right like thinking about um not necessarily what you're missing while you're playing overseas but you know I played till I was like 28 or 29 so you know I had I miss weddings I miss friends having babies i miss you know you know, baby showers, wait, all of it. Like I missed it all. Like I'm over there, I'm living in the middle of Ukraine. And it's like, all I really had was Skype, you know, I'm like skyping people like congratulations. So, I mean, you have to really want it and really love it to be over there. And I did, but then you also have to kind of respect your time and like what situation you're in over there. Like you said, you know, if it's not worth it or you're not getting paid or, or if it's a negative situation, that's like emotionally draining. Um, you know, like it is it is hard like once you're pushing into your thirties, like okay, what's what's the next step, even though you it's like so hard to to you know give it up, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well good. Well Ashley, this has been so fun to talk to you. It's so fun to connect. Um thank you for doing this. And I, I really do encourage you to keep it up with your coaching and the camps. Um, I was reminded recently, did you see the, uh, the last chance you basketball by chance? I, I haven't
0: watched. seen it yet. I've been told okay. about it. I need to watch it.
1: Yeah. I should check that out. Oh, okay. So my, my girlfriend's running the blender. If you can hear that, <laughs> uh, I the, um, <laughs> it just, it was a good reminder of just how impactful a coach can be to young people who desperately need guidance and, you know, his situation, coach Mosley is somewhat unique because he's kind of in the hood in East LA and he's giving these players one more chance to really get back on track. But it was just, you know, I I really do have the utmost admiration and respect for coaches who are doing their best through sports to help influence young people. So it seems like you're doing great things and congratulations on such a great playing career and uh, look forward to staying in contact throughout your coaching career.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate you. Um, Thanks for having me on your podcast. And, um, you know, I'd love to stay in touch. I want to know more about your, um, you know, different meditation exercises and, and what you're doing to help athletes. So uh, I'd love to hear about that sometime.
1: Okay. I'll send you a, I'll send you a book when it's finally ready.
0: Hey, uh, I like it. (laughs) Okay. Sounds
1: good. All right, Ashley. Well, thank you so much. Um, I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your shortened COVID season. And we'll be in touch.
0: Okay. Thanks so much
1: if you'd like to support me and the show one of the best ways to do that is just to simply share it with someone you think might like it you can also leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this the best way to stay in contact with me and my work is through my newsletter which you can find at billyhansonnet forward slash newsletter And my new book, Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, is now available for pre-order. And you can find that at billyhanson.net forward slash book and get links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other online stores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. It's the
0: sauce.